This is a podcast examining the lives and drives of creative thinkers. People who've turned their dreams into their career. Writers, directors, actors and public speakers, artists and musicians, fellow podcasters, and more. How does creativity work? And how can it pay the bills? This is Created By. Thank you so much for, for being willing to do this. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to, to chatting with you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And I, you know, I experience you as uh, lovely and kind and <laughs> driven and smart and creative and prolific. Keep saying things. Don't you do? Do you? Yeah, cute. But here's my editorial demand is that you not edit that part out. I think you should keep that. People need to know. Well, I mean, you heard it. People like, I can't cut that out, so... <laughs> As a writer myself, I'm particularly excited about my guest this week, a writer from Better Call Saul, The Act, and more, and an all-around wonderful person, Marion. So, first off, why don't you just tell me a little about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is Marion. I, you know, I used to just start by answering that question with what I work on, because that's the only way that I would know how to talk about myself. That's, that's not entirely true. I grew up in a really small town in southern Nebraska. I'm a small town girl. I grew up at a funeral home. I had a very strange aversion to the things that most people had growing up because I like I wanted a Mustang, but I didn't want Lola next door to die so that I could get one. So I think I had a, an informed value system from where, where I grew up. And uh, I don't cuss very much. I like water skiing. I'm into sports. I'm also sober. Um, I have an addictive personality that's been in the mix since I can remember. And I think I would be nowhere. I wouldn't have anything that I have right now without my sobriety. So the recovery process has been a big one for me. Awesome. Um, and now I, I write. I've done many things, but now my job is writing. Did you start out like aiming towards a career in writing or at what point did you know that's something you wanted to pursue? I have always enjoyed writing. I thought where I was in the world, it was more of a hobby than anything that was a viable job. And when I went to uh, college, I studied biochemistry and thought that I was going to be a mortician. So I uh, tried many different jobs that were unsatisfying to me until I was about 22, I want to say. And I got a job as a journalist for the railroad. And I started writing professionally then. I had taken some theater film classes in college on an exchange program to New York. So that's when I started to get uh, exposed to like the idea that writing for the professions was something that people do. And then, uh, you know, I fell in love with writing. I wanted something more creative and I moved to LA in 2008. Uh, I went to grad school, uh, UCLA MFA, and I started working in TV from 2009 onward. Do you feel like growing up in a funeral home gives you a, a, like knowing nothing about it? Someone like me gets a broad strokes picture of what that must be like, but there's a certain kind of inherent morbidity to that, I think, right? I mean, it, do you feel like that kind of informed your voice in some capacity? I think so. And there, you know, I love the show Six Feet Under, first of all. Oh, I yeah. worked for Jill Soloway, who was a writer on Six Feet Under before 
I started working for them and they had Claire's desk in their house. And so I, I got I got a hold of that to oh, wow. never let go. Also, my dad, who is the mortician and his brother works with him. They're two of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. So I think that they're not really your typical uh it's not like the Undertaker from WWF or whatever. He's not like this serious bone crusher. He's he's a very funny guy, very lighthearted guy. So um, it, it was interesting to see his approach to these like very life and death, uh, literally situations. And like I said, it was um, I had an interesting relationship with money and and things because my family's way of life uh, hinged on on people that I grew up with passing away. So, yeah, I think it probably it probably did inform a lot of what I've done. And I wrote a, a comedy pilot in 2014. A small town girl moves from California back to Nebraska to run her family's funeral home. And that went to Sundance for their episodic writer's lab. So I got some. Oh, great. It literally informed some of my writing that I'm still working on now. When I went to the lab, I had amazing uh, advisors. One was Greg Daniels of Parks and Rec in the office and now Space Force. Um, another was Carrie Aaron, who was doing Bates Motel, Friday Night Lights, and now The Morning Show. And they're fantastic and also very, very different in their approaches to breaking down story and their feedback that they gave me. So I came away from that lab with sort of an hour-long family dramedy and then a lighthearted, broad comedy hmm. angle to the story. So I would love to go back and, and sort of find the thread, you know, the authentic voice of that piece. Now, you met Vince Gilligan through Jeff Garland, right? You were, um, is that correct? Yes. I was working for Jeff the day that I met Vince. I'd been working for Jeff for four and a half years, and I became an associate producer for him on a feature that he directed, an, an improv feature called Dealing with Idiots. We had written an outline, and Bob Odenkirk was the star of that. So I got to know Bob very well. Hmm. And then Jeff had a podcast actually going where he would interview people live at Largo Theater in Los Angeles and bring people on. Those were also recorded and released on, on Apple later. But uh, Vince was one of his guests, and I was... I don't get starstruck very often. I had met a lot of people that I really admire, but Vince, Mitch Hurwitz was another one. Mm. Uh, when when I met them, I was just like, wow, there's an aura of <laughs> you know creativity yeah. and wowness coming off of them. And of course, he was so lovely, and his girlfriend Holly was with him, and uh, that was one of my favorite nights, I think, working for Jeff was when I met Vince. I don't think I knew yet that Better Call Saul was a thing. I still... I kept working for Jeff for probably another year. Uh, we did the Goldberg season two, I believe. Uh, and at about that time, I was finishing my master's at UCLA. And the publicist for uh, the Goldbergs was going to be the publicist for Better Call Saul and said, I know you're a writer. I know you're a good writer. And I know that Breaking Bad's going to have a spinoff. So... I ran back to Jeff's trailer uh, in between takes on the Goldbergs and knocked on his door. And I was like, remember Vince Gilligan? <laughs> of course he did. I was like, what do you think about sending an email over to those fine folks and seeing if I could maybe get an interview? I was one of two people in the writer's camp who was not on Breaking Bad. Hmm. So the people that Vince surrounds himself know him and his writing and his style so well forwards and backwards that we didn't have to spend time up front to go through scripts or, or look at his voice or say this is the style of writing that we're looking for. I mean, Tom Schnauz, who's an executive producer, 
uh, and was on Breaking Bad had gone to NYU with Vince and had helped him with some of his student films. Um, and Peter Gould, who showruns Better Call Saul, uh, came on season two of Breaking Bad. Gordon Smith, who's now one of the main writers on Saul, started as an assistant on Breaking Bad. The characters feel so rich and layered because we are able to spend a week or two weeks talking about them in such great detail, but that by the time we get to the script phase, there aren't many rocks that we haven't picked up and turned over to look under and see what's there. Uh, we've discussed things in so much detail and really talk about where is this character's head in this scene, um, not just in relation to Jimmy McGill, but where do they stand in their own feet and what are they gonna do next? And I think that that really gives a propulsion to the series because every character truly has his or her own trajectory independent of other characters. A lot of shows that have a more compressed timeline and maybe aren't together um, as much will reach for some plot over character. I think a lot of the times that we would um, be spinning our wheels for days, it was because we were trying to assert our own wills into the plot and not really step back and listen to the characters hmm. who many times take smaller steps than you imagine. Is there a lot of long-term planning that happens or is it a very organic, let's see what happens you know, and, and run with it? You know, at the beginning of the season, we do big sky or blue sky, sometimes we call it, where we'll just discuss the, the characters one by one and talk about them in a season trajectory. Maybe by the end of the season, we see this, this arc for a character and we'll kind of lay out some cards on that season board. Sometimes there are only one or two note cards per episode. And I remember my season five episode, 505, going into that, we didn't have any cards <laughs> under that episode that we had talked about ahead of time. So we were like, okay, nothing pre-planned here, like tentpole scenes. But that said, like when we went brick by brick in the episode, if those movements didn't make sense for the character or if they were too slow or fast, or we weren't beholden to them. So we didn't go into the season saying like, this is our Bible and we're gonna break out the beats accordingly. It was like, okay, if this is where we're going, where might the character be now in relation to that? But that said, at the beginning of the season, we really picked off with the end of last season and said, where is Jimmy? Where's Kim? Where are they? What's going on? Was there a character you preferred to write for or any voices you found that came easier for you than others? That's a really good question. I've, I enjoyed writing them all so much in different, you know, in different ways. I, I mean, I love writing Gus because he's so sparse and so efficient. Same with Mike. It, and that is not the way that I speak or or that I would write my <laughs> own my own dialogue. So it's just like, it's so cool to be able to step outside. That said, Kim came pretty naturally for me and a lot of her backstory was, in, you know, she grew up in a small town on the Kansas-Nebraska border, if you listen to some of her backstory, and she wanted to move out of town to get away from things. And you'll see in season five, like, she's standing outside of a school in Red Cloud, Nebraska, which is 30 miles from Superior, where my uncle has a funeral home. And so it's like her background and backstory and her cadence is very close to home for me. So that maybe didn't take as much stretching for me to get to, but I enjoy the challenges. I, I like writing Nacho. I like, I like all the characters. Can you walk me through like a typical day in a writer's room? Like, uh, let's say you are mid-season and you come in for a day. What is that like? So every, every show is different uh, with how they set up the room and what responsibilities they're going to cover for the day. 
I can tell you about the act and Better Call Saul if you want. But yeah. Better Call Saul is uh, it's a you know we get we we get in there around 10 a.m. We talk about what we watched last night, um, what's good, what's what we're struggling to understand, some current events. If we're in the middle of an episode, we're probably brick by brick, which means that we've done broad strokes and we have some cards laid out on the cork board, but we haven't gone beat by beat. And so now we're in the beat by beat phase. So we're picking up, we will ask the writer's assistant, who's the only person in the room with a computer, what we were talking about yesterday, where we left off. And then we, you know, we'll usually pitch out what we have on the board so far. Everyone is contributing equally to the conversation. However, the primary conversation is happening between the showrunner and the writer of that episode. And the writer probably comes in with some questions about the scene that we're working on or a proposal for how the scene might be laid out. But we all, you know, we sit around the room, we play with little toys and Legos, we color, uh, and we get to play the whole day. We're, we're just trying on different scenarios. Vince and Peter are really good at not initially saying, nah, I don't think so. What else you got? It's like, okay, well, let's try that out. And we'll pitch out that scene as if that scenario were true before we take the good parts of that and move on. So you're really building on everyone else's pitches rather than throwing one out entirely. Most of the time, sometimes it's just like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't really serve us here. Well, that brings me to a question that, that I've always been curious about. And forgive me if it's kind of a dumb question, but you note card out like everything, right? Like every beat, every line, you have a, like a note card map laid out, right? Yes. I use a cork board and three by five note cards. A lot of people use different methods. That's mine. If that's the process and you guys are in the room and you're hammering out all the beats, you know, beat by beat, what's the main weight that the individual writer carries in terms of assembling the script? How much are you coming up with on your own to fill in those gaps versus is it you're just working from an outline and, and going A to Z or how does that work? Like what's the, what's the balance of responsibility there? On Better Call Saul, the writer, at first, when we first started the show, Vince wrote all of the note cards for everyone. And he, by season three, was was out of the room. So the writers themselves took over writing the note cards for their episode. And writing the note cards, you're distilling down the beats from the scenes. So you're not writing every piece of dialogue. You're capturing the moment on the card. On Saul, we talk for about two and a half weeks. Uh, the writer's assistant has taken a great amount of notes. The episodes are discussed in a lot of detail so that by the end, the last card that goes up on the board is the episode number. And when we pin that 505 on the board, then everyone claps. We're excited. Hmm. Um, and then I would leave the room for two weeks, so 10 business days, and I get a big binder full of the notes that we just took and several hundred pages by the time in, in the case of Better Call Saul because we talk about every scene. We talk about a lot of dialogue. Hmm. There's really a lot that you have to go, a lot of notes that you have to go through. All the writer's first responsibility is writing an outline, which is um, the episode in short story form. So it's paragraph by paragraph as if you're reading a story, usually 15 to 20 pages that we send off to studio and network, and then we get started on the script. And by the time I get to the script, it's been laid out in the outline, and then I go back to the room notes to see all the great dialogue that was pitched back and forth, and I write that out. There's not a lot of invention by the writer. You know, there's there's some, you know, dialogue transaction and some movement that we play with. And you can certainly hear the color of the writer in that script. But it's not like 
I don't go into a scene and navigate my way through the scene uh, and figure out where Jimmy is at the end on my own. And on the act, the, the act was a different situation. We had the bare bones of what was happening in, in the scene, and there was a lot more artistic license on the writer's part to come up with that, which was a lot of fun. A little scary, but fun. Every episode, I do a lightning round. Are you ready for that? Oh, fun, yeah. All right, here we go. So texting or talking? Texting, unfortunately. Tacos or pizza? Tacos. Do you prefer comedy or drama? Uh, drama. Would you rather be hot or cold? I'd rather be hot. What's the last movie you watched? I watched Hiss with three S's on Netflix. I've never heard of it, but it sounds amazing already. You're in for a treat. What is your least favorite animal? Wow, um, spiders. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a swimmer are you? I would say I'm a six and a half level swimmer. I'd like the half point, that's good. What is your favorite snack? Fudge bars, fudge sickles. Uber or Lyft? Uber. What is your guilty pleasure song? Uh, anything by Lizzo. Do you have a desert island movie? I would say Mystery Men. Oh, you are like the only person I know who's ever seen that movie. I love that movie. Isn't it so underrated? It's so it is good. amazing. I just used it in a pitch oh, man. recently and no one got no one knew what I was talking about. How many spritzes of perfume is appropriate? Zero. Just lotion. Would you rather ask for permission or forgiveness? I'm a rule follower, so I go with permission. On a scale of one to ten, how good of a dancer are you? I would say two and a half, which increases if I'm by myself. <laughs> I think I'm a lot better. Have you ever been skydiving? I have not. Would you ever go skydiving? No, I like to be attached to things, maybe bungee jumping. What tree is best? What are those trees called with the the white ones with the peely bark? A birch tree? Birch tree. I think it's a birch tree. Cilantro, good or bad? Cilantro is excellent. Cats or dogs? Dogs, and I say that with a heavy heart because I have one of each. <laughs> That's okay. Don't tell Millie. I don't, I don't think the cat cares, to be honest. She really doesn't. She doesn't give a shit. Did you ever believe in Santa Claus? I did for a long, probably longer than most. <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at poker? Zero. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever played poker. Finally, what is the nerdiest thing about you? My favorite smell is the smell of old books or the library. I can't get enough. If I could have a perfume, it would be an old book smell. So when you're in the writer's room, like you're obviously expected to have ideas and, and participate in the essentially brainstorming or the working out of whatever you're working on, right? Are there days when you just are empty? Like what happens on, on when you're not feeling that... Uh, full of ideas. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, certainly. You know, inspiration is always available, but it's this elusive thing. It's like the harder you try to grasp at it, the slipperier that it gets. Mm. And I've done that thing where it's like, when I'm writing my own stuff, it's like, I'm going to run over to Coldwater and Chandler because I had two good ideas on that corner before. <laughs> and you run over there and nothing happens, right? And it feels like that sometimes when you show up to the room and you are expected to contribute. That being said, sometimes you do more harm than good if you're trying to force uh, contributions that aren't thought through. If you're talking just to talk, you know, you're pulling back the time from the writers from other people. Mm -hmm. 
when I when I've had days that I struggle, it's because I'm doing too much self editing ahead of time. It's like, what are they going to think? I also I came up as an assistant, so graduating into a room of people who were my heroes and bosses, I felt a great amount of insecurity when I first started pitching. Oh, I can only imagine. Like, I don't know how to form ideas. I'm a writer, not a speaker. What what am I doing here? But there are other ways to help too. There are ways to listen to ideas, and uh, sometimes I would speak up and say like. I really like what Aaron just said, and here's why. Um, and I'm not doing it just to say words, but like if I see the validity in, in how this is going to pay off down the road, you can always use what someone else is saying, not to take their words, but to build on them. Mm -hmm. Like if Aaron is saying that Jimmy wears red shoes in that scene, then perhaps those red shoes can end up on a telephone pole that Mike is shooting with the sniper. This is such a bad pitch. I'm not, <laughs> and not, that didn't really happen. But you know what I'm saying? Like I can build yeah. on something you're saying if, if the ideas, they don't have to come from me to be valid or a contribution. I think if I struggled with anything, it would be adjusting to pitching more in the room. Hmm. I was very confident on the page. I had had, I mean, I knew I was a great writer's assistant. I had no trouble believing in my work, but walking in there and saying like, here are my unworked ideas. And it's very vulnerable. It's, vul hmm. it's a vulnerable in a way that like stand-up comedy is vulnerable because if someone's saying, I don't like your ideas, what I hear is like, I don't like you. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. It's not a reflection of you as a person if your idea isn't fitting. And I had to take the judgment out of like, this is a good idea. This is a bad idea. I think there's no such thing. It's like, maybe this isn't the idea that fits the best in this situation for this showrunner. Mm -hmm. If it was my show, it might be the best idea, but it's not. So the best, the most fitting idea is what serves the show in that moment. And often you cannot get to the right idea until you've pitched the wrong one. Well, tell me a little bit about, uh, like, if you don't mind getting a little more granular about your personal process, how do you get from like the germ of an idea to putting it on paper? For me, I start always with a character, a character that I can build a world around or more appropriately follow through a world, uh, through their lens. And I'll typically have the idea of a situation for this character, but it's not, I often don't have the log line for the project until I've worked with the character for a while. I have character templates that I've, I think the first time that I saw this character template was in a video game writing class in my UCLA master's program, <laughs> because video games have such great, rich character development. And it was just big grids of questions about what is this character afraid of? Uh, who do they resent in their past? What are their character defects? What's happening day to day in this character's love life? And you might not ever see this play out on screen, but having an understanding of this person uh, through and through, like informs their decisions in a different way um, of how they react to calamity. <laughs> in in your situation, in the great pilot that I just read, like the environment is a character in itself. Mm. So I often will take uh, in the funeral home pilot that I did, even though this is a town that I know near and dear to my heart, I will put the Midwest small town of Superior, Nebraska in this character template and and write about it and ask all these questions mm. of the institution or the environment or the place as if it is a character. Because there are a lot of things like my, I'm always going into a project saying primarily about each character, what do they want in the scene? What do they want in the series? And what are they afraid of? 
What are they afraid of losing? What are they afraid of doing? Like the fears and the wants really motivate a character deeply. Um, and the same can be said about an, an institution or a place. Like the, the Midwest has certain fears uh, and certain desires that like New York City might not, it might not have the same thing. So mm -hmm. you're building a world and you have this like level of richness that I think it's okay to start with a world too. I shouldn't say like, don't ever start with the world or the environment, but get an understanding of the motivations of those things. Can you describe for me the perfect project? Like what's a dream project for you as a writer? I'm actually, I almost don't want to say it because I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm adapting a book, one of my favorite books of all time called Geek Love. It's written by Catherine Dunn and I read it when I was in high school. Um, and now I'm developing that as a 10 episode adult stop animation limited series for Warner Brothers. And I just, I absolutely love Catherine's writing. I love the characters. I love the world so much. And if I'm able to do it, I get to work with some very talented people who are also friends of mine. So, you know, working on material that I love with people I love doing what I love is just like a trifecta of, oh my God, how did I get this situation? I'm so lucky. Do you have any advice or perspective to lend to aspiring writers? I think the thing that served me well when I was starting out is to try my best to help everybody else in the room before I asked them to look at my stuff. Um, and to remember that many of the assistants that are working with you will be working next to you also when you're a showrunner and maybe in a position to hire you soon. Hmm. So it's important to remember that someone else's success does not equal your failure. So really dropping any sense of competition and the more teamwork, the more empowerment that you can give to other people, like you'll get that back. What does being a creative mean to you? All right, I'm gonna get a little hippy dippy on this one. And this isn't coming from a religious angle. I did, I grew up Lutheran, but I'm not talking about God, the sky daddy, but I'm talking about, I believe that inspiration comes from a higher power of my own understanding. And for me, that's like, when you start writing or you start doing your art, you start making music, whatever your art is, and the ideas are just flowing to you. Like for me, that's the God loop. That's where I'm connected. And the creativity is in the process, not the product. So often when I hit a wall and when I'm not writing, that's because I'm so wrapped up in the final product and what everyone's gonna think that I'm not finding the joy in like the struggle of finding the right idea. Ego wants to tell you that creativity means that you're able to say, I just wrote the best script that's ever been written. It's sitting on my laptop right now. That's ego, that's not creativity. Creativity is the endlessly interesting statement that is, I'm in the middle of writing the best screenplay that I've ever written. Your ego doesn't wanna hear that because your ego wants you to have the best idea already in your head. But the creativity is finding that and finding what doesn't work and, and growing through the process of creative failure. You know, I found a lot of God in my work once I got out of my own way. When I think about my own writing ambitions and whatever shape my writing career may take, I often find myself feeling anxious about the demands of 
writing pages of genius on a daily basis. It's one thing to write in my free time and hammer out a pilot over a few loosely scheduled weeks or months or years, but could I hold my own in a writer's room? Marion inspires me for a dozen reasons, but one is that she underscores a very practical reality. Feeling anxious doesn't go away. Feeling stuck doesn't go away. If anything, the pressure only intensifies, and there will always be days when you're just not feeling it. Because we're human. We all get caught in the trap of self-editing. We tend to focus on the end result rather than the journey to get there. But I find hope in knowing that the solution is actually pretty simple, all things considered. Get comfortable with how bad you can be. Knowing the first draft is gonna suck is maybe the most freeing conclusion you can come to. It's like Marion said, you can't get to the right idea until you've pitched the wrong one. This podcast and its music are mixed and composed by me, Aaron Milas. I built the music in GarageBand, and fun fact, I used a YouTube tutorial to recreate the Better Call Saul theme song. It's very high-tech here. I'm going to ask that if you've enjoyed this show, to leave a rating and review. It only takes a minute, and it really does help me out immensely. Wherever you're listening, hit those five stars, and let me know what you think of the show. Be sure to follow Created By on social. You can find that info and more in the episode description. It's a great way to learn more about my guests and connect and engage with other creatives. Thanks again for listening. It's genuinely my pleasure to share these episodes every week. I have no sponsors or patrons or anything. This is really just for the sake of it. In that spirit, I hope you'll spread the word and tell your friends and family to check it out. There's another new episode out next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Aaron Milas.